Hey, this is Mohal Joshi from Los Angeles, California. I follow Indian foreign policy and defense with a special focus on Asia. You can follow me on Twitter at Mohal Joshi. Hey, this is Kishore Narayan from Bengaluru in India. I am an international relations expert specializing in global security, conflict resolution, and international negotiation. My focus areas include peace building and digital diplomacy. You can find me on Twitter at Veggie Diplomat. Hello and welcome to episode 28 of India Rising Strategic Affairs Conversations with Mohal and Kishore, a show in which we analyze the happenings from around the world and their impact on India. Before we begin with today's episode, we just hope that you and your loved ones are safe at home and are healthy during these troubled times. Remember to stay home and stay safe. The last two episodes have been about the ongoing standoff between the Indian and the Chinese troops at the line of actual control. We have been very clear in our understanding and analysis that this standoff will be a long drawn out issue for the troops of the two countries. So more than two months later, we are back to discussing the same issue, but with the specifics of the recent events that transpired at the Spangor Gap. So uh, what exactly happened in Eastern Ladakh during the last week of August? As per reports, on the night of 28th of August, Chinese troops, the PLA troops, made attempts to move in to capture territory on the Indian side of the LAC near an area referred to as the Spangor Gap, which is located just south of the southern bank of the Pangong So by the banks of a lake called as Spangor So. So in Ladakh, in Ladakhi language means lake. The Indian army, having been alerted to this attempt by their surveillance systems, quickly took preemptive action to occupy the key points on the ridge line of the Kailash range on both sides of the Spangor Gap. During this operation, which was called Operation Snow Leopard, Indian Army Special Forces, including members of the secretive Special Frontier Forces, mainly consisting of Tibetan refugees settled in India, climbed to the ridge line in a two hour plus operation to secure the positions before the Chinese could get there. During this operation, uh, SFF soldier Nima Tenzin was killed in an anti-personnel mine blast. This mine was supposed to have been part of the mines laid during the 1962 Indochina war. By the end of this operation, the ridge lines around the Spangor Gap were under the control of a of a force equal to an infantry brigade. The positions around Rechin La, as per some reports, have been reinforced by infantry combat vehicles, which have been driven up to the pass itself. The Indian Army issued a statement saying, I quote, on the night of the 29th, 30th August, PLA troops violated the consensus arrived at during the military and diplomatic engagements and carried out provocative military movements to change the status quo. Even the MEA pitched in 
the spokesperson for the MEA, Mr. Anurag Srivastava, said yesterday, I quote, yesterday, August 31, even as the ground commanders of the two sides were in discussions to de-escalate the situation, the Chinese troops again engaged in provocative action. Due to the timely defensive action, the Indian side was able to prevent these attempts to unilaterally alter the status quo. We have taken up the matter of recent provocative and aggressive actions with the Chinese side through both diplomatic and military channels and have urged them to, dis to discipline and control their frontline troops from undertaking such provocative actions. The Foreign Secretary, Hertz V. Schringler, said that the ongoing tensions between India and China at the line of actual control in Ladakh is the, quote, most serious challenge, unquote, and similar to what both sides faced in 1962. I quote him again, we have had an unprecedented situation on the Indochina border. We have never had the situation since 1962. We never lost lives in the last 40 years. It is an unprecedented situation. We have also seen there has been a unilateral attempt that seems to be an effort to change facts on the ground. We'll be firm and resolute in resisting this, unquote. Srinila said while virtually addressing the Indian Council of World Affairs. Srinila also added, I quote, as far as we are concerned, there will be no compromise on our sovereignty and territorial integrity. At the same time, as a responsible country, we are always willing to talk and ready to engage even in the depth of COVID crisis. We have kept our communication lines open. Our senior commanders have been talking on the ground. Diplomats have been talking to each other, both in New Delhi and Beijing, unquote. So this was uh, the Indian statements and the Indian side of uh, the Indian perspective of what was transpiring on the ground. Now, what was the Chinese reaction on the ground uh, to these events? During the past few weeks, the Chinese have made multiple attempts to gain control along the ridge lines, as we all know. They have tried to sneak in close to the Indian positions to possibly physically evict them from the dominating positions and or try to physically intimidate them into vacating these posts. This has led to incidents of firing by both Indian and Chinese soldiers in the air and not at each other as per some news reports. The Chinese are undertaking these provocative measures to unnerve the Indian soldiers manning these posts. The firing meant that this was the first time in 45 years since the ambush of Assam rifle soldiers near Tulungla in 1975. This was the first time in 45 years that actual shots were fired at the border. Photos circulating in the Indian media also showed that Chinese troops tried to approach Indian positions, holding what seemed to be long, a long mace with a machete on the top, that type of a weapon. They seemed to have to have been prepared for a redux of the fight that occurred in Galwan in mid-June, uh, where the PLA used batons with barbed wire and also medieval types of weapons. 
Remember that we had covered extensively about the Galvan clash in our previous episode. Now reacting to this incident, the Indian army issued a statement. In the instant case of 7 September 2020, it was the PLA troops who were attempting to close in with one of our forward positions along the LAC and when dissuaded by own troops, PLA troops fired a few rounds in the air in an attempt to intimidate our troops. However, despite the grave provocation, our troops exercised great restraint and behaved in a mature and responsible manner." Unquote. The Chinese Foreign Ministry spokesperson claimed that the Indian Army broke the consensus reached at the talks. A. B illegally crossed the line again near the south bank of Pangong Lake and Rekin Pass, making a blatant provocation and causing tension. C. had undermined the consensus reached at the diplomatic and military levels. Chinese uh, spokesperson also added, quote, India's move has grossly violated China's territorial sovereignty, seriously violated relevant agreements, protocols and important consensus reached between the two countries and severely damaged peace and tranquility along the border areas. What India has done runs counter to the efforts made by both sides to de-escalate tensions." Unquote. So Mohal, uh, I've kind of given a long drawn out rejoinder uh, mm-hmm. uh, yes. on what exactly happened and how the two sides Uh, tried to explain their version of the story of both the events of the 29th, 30th August and also 7th uh, September. However, I think it is far more important for our listeners to understand the importance of Chushul as an area along the border area. So Mohal, if you can explain that. Yeah, Kishore, thanks. Uh, That was a... Very good explanation on what happened in the has actually happened over the last few weeks since the last week of August, mm-hmm. where we have heard Vechushul and the Spanger Gap has been in the news quite a bit. Mm-hmm. So, coming to Chushul, uh, so let me give a broad overview. So, basically, the standoff which has been occurring is broadly in the eastern Ladakh area. Now, eastern Ladakh mostly consists of very harsh mountainous terrain. There are actually like very few areas where there is relatively flat terrain or there are mountain passes where troops can easily move back and forth between the eastern Ladakh and the western Tibetan areas. And also especially armored forces where you, if you have to drive tanks, armored fighting, um, infantry fighting vehicles, you need very good flat terrain to make any kind of... uh, substantial movement uh, east-west. So as you know, like many of the ranges in eastern Ladakh, they run like, uh, I mean, north to south, like maybe a little bit uh, north-west to south-east. And uh, there are very few ingress-egress points where one could cross over. So now as you see in the picture, um, right from like Gogra on in like the top, near the top of the picture, in the hot springs area and all the way down to south of Dungti is there are only like very few couple of places where the terrain allows some kind of uh, this east-west movement across the mountain ranges. Now one of them is the northern shore of the Pangong so where 
the standoff from earlier this summer is still ongoing and which we had covered in uh, one of our earlier episodes. And the other one is the Spanger Gap by the shores of the Spanger Lake. So Spanger Lake is a smaller lake, which is just south of the larger Pangonso Lake. So the Spanger Gap is like a relatively flat terrain around uh, approximately two kilometers wide at its widest from where the PLA could made an, make an armored thrust into the Chushul area. It's quite flat in terms of the relative terrain of Eastern Ladakh. Now, let's say in theory, they break out from this gap. They could then easily move northwards or southwards along the valley to threaten other areas in Eastern Ladakh. So this area, this Panger Gap is like very crucial for the overall defense of Eastern Ladakh. And um, Rohit Vats, a defense analyst, uh, has a fantastic video uh, that he had uploaded some time ago on the strategic importance of Chushul in Eastern Ladakh in regards to the, the topography out there and why holding on to it is very important for the, the overall defense of Eastern Ladakh. So I think that's a, I would say like a must watch video for all, all our listeners. Now, uh, coming back to the Spanger Gap itself. So the Spanger Gap, uh, there's like a relatively flatter in the middle. And on both sides, there are like, uh, uh, like significant ele- elevations or mountain peaks. So uh, the ridgeline on both sides has many points of vital importance. I, I'm sure like many of the listeners might be familiar by the names they've been hearing in the media and on social media like Helmet Top, Black Top, Gurung Hill, uh, which lie to the north of the Spanger Gap, and Mugger Hill, Mukpuri, uh, Rezangla, and Rechinla to the south of the gap. Now, as per reports, Indian soldiers have established de facto control on Mukpuri, Mugger uh, Hill, Gurung Hill, Rezangla, Rechinla, and something which is referred to as the Yellow Bump. So, um, uh, now, there is some dispute among certain journalists, reporters, and ex-soldiers on social media. I mean, if you had seen, like, who is in control of Helmet Top and especially the Black Top? Uh, is it like India or is it China? Now, Black Top being the, at 56, 70 meters or like almost 18,600 feet is the highest point in this area and is a high vantage point from which one can keep a watch on the adversary. So this would be very crucial as to who controls it. Now, by controlling the ridge lines, what the Indian armed forces have done is now they can keep a watch on all the Chinese movements in the Spanger Gap and uh, even beyond. Now, in so why is this like Spanger uh, holding the ridge lines so crucial? Now, as we know that in military strategy, it says that whoever controls the how the heights holds the upper hand, as it is hard to dislodge a well-trenched enemy. Military strategists like often refer to like a nine is to one ratio for the attackers to capture the heights from an adversary. But the nine to one ratio refers to like, okay, if you have one defender, then you need nine attackers to be put across one defender uh, because of the harsh mountainous terrain to capture the heights. Now, if we just go back like two decades, back to the 1999 Kargil wall, Indian army had to make really huge efforts to take back control of the mountaintops from the Pakistanis who had infiltrated across the LOC. Now, during the Kargil war, the good part was that since the Pakistani Air Force didn't take part in the battle, 
Indian Air Force had total domination of the airspace over Kargil. Now they used this advantage to pound the Pakistanis' positions day and night, making the job of the Indian Army to retake this peaks much easier compared to what it would have been possibly without the IF. I think the casualty levels and the debt, uh, the injured, uh, the number of injured soldiers which have been much, much larger. Now, let's say if the Chinese in theory had managed to capture these heights instead of us on August 29th, it would have been very difficult to dislodge them from the Kailash Ridgeline. Not only you need the 9 is to 1 superior ratio, but also you would, in the, in, in the scenario of a military conflict, like the Chinese Air Force or the PLAF wouldn't have stayed out of the battle. They would have participated in it, unlike the PF, which stayed out, in, out of the way in Kargil. So it would have been uh, quite uh, difficult mm-hmm. uh, to dislodge the Chinese. Now, coming back to the regarding the, the thorny question of whether India controls blacktop or, or China controls it. So there was an interesting perspective by a uh, imminent uh, defense analyst, Dr. Shiv Shastri, uh, Twitter handle, Bened Vidose. He had provided uh, in an image like which you can see on your screen that even if India does not control blacktop, but it's instead on the red line just to the west of it at a point that is referred to as yellow bump, they would still have a clear view of Sirijap on the opposite or the northern bank of the Pangonso. Now, that is very important because the Sirijap, there is a military complex that the Chinese have that they have maintained for a very long time. And Sirijap was one of the few places, I mean, uh, many places which was lost to the Chinese in the 1960, early part of the 1962 war. So, uh, if Indian forces are like on the, the yellow bump, then they would have clear view to not only the Chinese movements in the Spanger Gap, but also across the lake into Sirijap. And also they would have some kind of visibility towards fingers four to eight, which uh, are under Chinese control right now. Uh, Also, the Indian troops at the yellow bump are just like 100 meters below the blacktop. So they are not at a significant tactical disadvantage. So when we talk is that when you are at a lower elevation, you are at a disadvantage. So you want to be at the highest peak. But this uh, height difference is just like a mere 100 meters. Uh, So it would not be a huge disadvantage. Again, going to like the photographic analysis, like a recent photo that was shared by one of Ladakh's most famous residents, Sonam Vanchuk, showed local porters carrying supplies up a mountain near Chusul. So everybody was just interested, like, okay, where could this possibly be at? Like, which mountains are they taking it up to? So like Biswa, uh, like who's a defense analyst and tweets at the Twitter handle, Biswa5590127, as per his image analysis concluded, this was just below the bump area, just west of the uh, blacktop. So we, the porters were moving up a ridge line uh, all the way up to possibly uh, a yellow bump. Now, if the porters are moving up to an area, it would be unlikely that they would be in Chinese control because they could come under serious threat. So that maybe leads us to believe based on putting two and two together that India is in control of the, uh, the, the yellow bump and also Gurung Hill, which lies on the ridge line below. So 
so coming back to an overall uh, analysis of the area so what happens now like i mean when we when india is in firm control of many of these points uh, so let's say if you look at here like on the from the reverse perspective or from the chinese perspective how it would look so here you can see that they would see like a four positions like uh, magar hill mukpuri rezang line rechin line control of india so for the chinese there is no simple way to do a, a flanking maneuver around this indian positions because what would happen is that to the north as you see in this picture they are hemmed in by the pangong so lake to the and also the features to the north which are indian indian control which is the camels bag gurung hill uh, <coughs> possibly helmet top and yellow bump so there is no easy way to go around it within the spangur gap also uh, they would not be possible because india would have probably blocked that road by now to the south they are blocked in by these four positions which are like magar hill mukpuri rechin line rezingla so they are kind of hemmed in between these mountainous features which india controls and the pangong so lake in theory they could go around to the mountains which are south of pangong uh, sorry uh, south of rechinla but mind you they are like around at an elevation of 5800 to 6000 meters that we are talking about like 19 to 19 and a half thousand feet so they could in theory go around the indian troops but is unlikely given the terrain and the weather up at such a high foreboding uh, heights uh, especially as we approach the winter months so they are kind of sort of checkmated for now as to they cannot again the tactical advantage also one must remember that the nearby chinese garrison which you see in the image at moldo which is by the foothills uh, of the the ridge line and also near the northwest uh, edge of the spanger so lake uh, is well within the visibility of the indian positions on the ridge lines on both sides so any sudden movement of the chinese is bound to be visible to the indian troops and would be reported so uh, very quickly and uh, india can uh, keep in check any possible uh, chinese actions in this area so that was a brief overview of the topography of the spanger gap and the importance and where india is in control and where china is present and how the tactical situation evolves on the ground so now uh, kishore like the chushul sector was mm-hmm. quite uh, hot during the Ind- the 1962 war so can you give us listeners what happened during the war and how does it relate to the events today because i i, I know that many of the names that we keep hearing today were well known even during the incidentally during the 1962 war indeed indeed yeah uh, sure mohan so uh, we know that uh, the chushul hector was a hot uh, was a hot spot even during the 1962 war uh, indian troops uh, were actively engaged uh, in that uh, hot spot during the war now the area around that spangur gap uh, as seen by the photo of that uh, we saw right now witnessed some of the most intense fighting during that time 
Rahangla during the war saw one of the most legendary last stand battles, as we call it, that the world has ever seen. Led by Major Shaitan Singh Bhatti, 120 soldiers of the 13th Kumau fought till the last man, last bullet. They fought heroically in freezing temperatures at approximately 17,000 feet, killing a reported, killing reportedly 1,300 plus Chinese soldiers. Out of the 120 men of 13th Kumau, that day 114 soldiers were killed, five were captured. Who later escaped from Chinese captivity, and one was sent back to tell the tale of the unmatched valor at Rehangla. The legendary lyrics of the song "A Mere Watan Ke Logo," sung by Lata Mangeshkar, contains the line "Das Das Ko Ek Ne Mara." This is said to have been referring to the 10 to 1 fatalities of the Chinese versus Indian soldiers at the Battle of Rehangla. This unit, on account of its valor during the course of this one battle, earned an unprecedented ten medals: five Vir Chakras, four Sena medals, and one Param Vir Chakra for Major Shaitan Singh Bhatti. During the 19th, so so yeah. uh, just wanted to mention that that the the line from the song Amar Vatan ke logo das das ko ek ne mara. is not like a figment of imagination no, of the yeah. poet it is actually based on true events where uh, the indians like for, faced a force probably like 10 times as large and they did uh, or maybe even larger and they managed to kill like a reported 1300 uh, chinese so the, uh, the one of the interesting perspectives on this one on this battle of rezangla was that uh one of the survivors was uh, interviewed by uh, uh shekhar gupta like now the chief of the print magazine like when he was with indian express i think or with ndtv few years ago uh i think it's a, like a the interviews on i think walk the talk program and interestingly uh he brings out like uh an interesting anecdote in that that when the guy Uh, went back to report this uh, the bravery of the 13th kumau uh, people didn't believe that they could have killed like 1300 chinese they said like they were lying but when they went back to the uh, battlefield they saw like the huge amount of bodies that uh, lay strewn on the field including the brave soldiers of the indian army wow sure? that must be a, yeah that must be a uh, hair raising experience yeah and also uh, like uh, winning 10 medals in i think one day of action during any of the wars that india has fought i don't think yeah. It, yeah. It, it was unprecedented yes yes yeah so uh, carrying forward even during the 1962 war six amx 13 tanks were airlifted to to the chushul sector which landed on the alg that is the advanced landing ground just west of the spangur gap they provided fire support to the outnumbered troops in this sector this is said to have prevented chushul from easily falling into the chinese hands after india lost control of rasangla and gurung hill on the northern side during the chinese attacks in november 1962 the indian army was forced to retreat to chushul to further defend against future attacks of the pla however these attacks never came and china unilaterally declared ceasefire 
on 21st November 1962, ending the war. During the 1962 war, India did not occupy Blacktop on the northern side of Spangur Gap, uh, the peak that we saw uh, in the images earlier, and also Mukpari on the southern side. After the war, this was considered to be an error of judgment of not occupying all the major points on the Kailash Ridge line around Spangur Gap. After the war, India chose to not go back to occupy these heights, and as per some reports, continued to do so even earlier this year. This is not the case today, as India is now firmly in control of dominating high points on the ridge line. Also, uh, apart from the Spangur Gap uh, area, we now have some recent developments at the Pangongso Finger area on the northern bank. The Finger area on the northern bank of Pangongso has had a standoff around the Finger 4 area since earlier in the summer. In a new development, the Indian troops have been redeployed on the heights above Finger 4. Twitter user, uh, who goes by an anonymous handle, D. Atus, with a Twitter handle, at Detresfa, who does image in imagery intelligence, has shown satellite imagery analysis in the, in the pictures showing how Indian soldiers have established a post well above the finger 3-4 area at a height of 5,256 meters or approximately 17,244 feet and that too at an elevation that is higher than the nearby Chinese post. This means that even in this area India has now occupied the higher elevations compared to the Chinese. Yeah, so I think Kishore this shows that um, I don't know if in the end we will be caught in this cyclical measure. Okay, I go to X feed, you go to Y feed, which is higher than X, then you we go to Z feed. So uh, India has gone to higher elevations than the Chinese for uh, most of these locations. So it is yet to be seen. Can will China as an as a next cycle? Can do they have the capability and the willingness to stay out and go even higher? Uh, elevations to outdo the Indians, you know, at this position. But for the moment, we are at the higher elevations at most of these points, not all. But In fact, that perfectly uh, allows me to segue into uh, what are the diplomatic efforts that are happening and aren't they helping? Why are we trying to out, outsmart or outmaneuver each other on the ground while we can actually try to resolve it diplomatically? Now, uh, Raksha Mantri Rajnath Singh visited Moscow and ended up meeting his Chinese counterpart, General Wei Fenghe, on the latter's request. Remember that by this time, India was already in possession of the heights and was in the driver's seat. In the meeting, both sides stuck to their stated positions, blaming each other for the situation and demanded that the other side back off. The Defense Ministry issued a statement after the meeting which said, Mr. Singh uh, categorically, I quote, I quote the statement, Mr. Singh categorically conveyed India's position on the developments along the LAC, including in the Galwan Valley in the western sector of the India-China border areas in the last few months, unquote. Apparently, he also emphasized that the action of the Chinese troops, including amassing of large number of troops, 
aggressive behavior and attempts to unilaterally alter the status quo were in clear violation of the bilateral agreements and not in keeping with the understandings reached between the special representatives of the two sides." Unquote. Even the Chinese side issued a separate statement which reiterated their perspective. Now the two individual statements were pretty identical in tone and tenor to the earlier statements issued by their respective local level core commanders. Neither side was willing to budge and wanted the other to blink first. Well, this kind of reiterates what is happening on the ground, where each one is trying to outsmart and outthink the other. Yes. Now, something happened after that so, so much that within the next five days, um, when Mr. Uh, Jai Shankar, India's Minister for External Affairs, uh, met with his Chinese counterpart, uh, Wang Yi, who is also the state councillor on the sidelines of the Shanghai Cooperation Organization meeting that was organized in Moscow. And this time, the two sides after their meeting, surprisingly, issued a joint statement. Now the joint statement merits a look as it advocated a five-point formula to diffuse the tensions. And I'll try to explain to you the, the impact and the repercussions. Let's look at the five points to begin with. One, the two ministers agreed that both sides should take guidance from the series of consensus of the leaders on developing India-China relations, including not allowing differences to become disputes. Two, the, foreign, the two foreign ministers agreed that the current situation in the border areas is not in the interest of either side. They agreed, therefore, that the border troops of both sides should continue their dialogue, quickly disengage, maintain proper distance, and ease tensions. Three, the two ministers agreed that both sides shall abide by all the existing agreements and protocol on China-India boundary affairs, maintain peace and tranquility in the border areas, and avoid any action that could escalate matters. Four, the two sides also agreed to continue to have dialogue and communication through the special representative mechanism on the India-China boundary question. They also agreed in this context that the working mechanism for consultation and coordination on India-China border affairs, WMCC, should also continue its meetings. Five, the ministers agreed that as the situation eases, the two sides should expedite work to conclude new confidence building measures to maintain and enhance peace and tranquility in the border areas. Now, as I told you, there are a few key takeaways from this joint statement, and I'll explain you why. One. And after that, I'll give my one hot take, but go ahead, please, for the perfect, moment. Perfect. Okay. So, yeah, one. As you know, uh, Wang Yi, the foreign minister, is actually higher in the hierarchy than a uh, general, uh, general who uh, met with uh, Raksha Mantri Rajanath Singh. So a joint statement coming in from higher in the hierarchy is a statement by itself. One. Two, uh, Wang Yi is also the state councillor. So he is 
from the Communist Party rather than the general who is from the PLA. This implies that the Communist Party is now keen on issuing a joint statement. Three, this was the first time in the entire crisis that a joint statement pointed out to the wish of the two leaders, Narendra Modi and Xi Jinping. Four, what happened in the five days period between 5th September when Rajanath Singh met his counterpart and 10th September when Jaishankar met his counterpart that both sides came up with a joint statement is a valid question for which we don't have an answer yet. Six, both sides agreed to a disengagement along the line of actual control. But this is easier said than done. As pointed out by Pranab Samantha in the Economic Times, I quote him here, but the problem really is carrying out troop reduction in a mutually agreed manner. Infrastructure on the Chinese side allows for faster mobilization of troops compared to India. So any such effort will require the PLA to move further back than the Indian forces. It's important to keep in mind that India too has moved up forces in large numbers as a response to Chinese mobilization. India is unlikely to agree to thinning out unless fully satisfied that China has demonstrated sufficient intent to de-escalate, which means Beijing will have to necessarily take the first step and probably more given that logistics of mobilization do not permit much back and forth from an Indian perspective. Seven, both sides went further ahead and committed themselves to not just disengagement, but also a de-escalation through some confidence building measures and also a resumption of the, of the talks between the special representatives uh, on the India-China India boundary question. Now, in a way, this, spe this specific point promises a lot more than earlier by saying that we are committed to not just complete, not just complete disengagement, but also complete de-escalation. However, the proof of the pudding lies in the eating. There is no guarantee that the disengagement itself will be carried out by the Chinese in an honest and transparent manner. If that step itself is unverifiable or incomplete, the intent of de-escalation will remain a pipe dream. So Mohan, uh, what's your hot take? <laughs> so my hot take is like, uh, I mean, when I heard like five agreements, it, my mind just went back to Panchil. Panchil? <laughs> <laughs> Beside between uh, Zhao Enlai and uh, Jawaharlal Nehru in, I think, 1954. Mm -hmm. And it's the kind of uh, crazy to or hilarious to think of it. Like this also considered the same points, right? The points in Panchil were basically non-interference in another's affairs and respect for each other's territorial unity, integrity, and sovereignty. Mm -hmm. So I guess, I mean, in probably like 60 plus years, I mean, yeah, maybe like 66 years, we haven't moved a lot on the statement. They just sound the same. The, the bad part was after Panchil, we had the 1962 war. So I'm not sure whether yeah. this solves anything or not. We might be just reinventing the wheel and uh, putting a newer spin where instead of Zhao Enlai and uh, Jawaharlal Nehru, like we have now Xi Jinping and uh, Narendra Modi. Right. I mean, uh, the way to look at it is uh, both sides of the argument, both the critics and the proponents will uh, try to explain it from their own perspective. The critics will tell this is 
punch shield redux version 2.0 yeah but probably the proponents might tell hey you know what the problem was not punch shield itself but how the two sides conducted themselves yeah. thereafter and i mean this time we might not uh, we are pretty sure not to allow the same thing to happen again so <laughs> each each side of the argument might uh, want to uh, argue yeah from their own perspective i mean and the most hilarious part was that the fifth pre- principle of panchil mm-hmm. which was the kudeta was like the peaceful coexistence can you believe it like 66 <laughs> years reading <laughs> down the road i mean it was like mutual respect like, let me just read all five of them like for uh, posterity yeah. Yeah. like mutual respect for each other's territory and sovereignty mm-hmm. mutual non aggression uncheck i guess i'm just just think of it it regards 62 mutual non interference each other's internal affairs mm-hmm. uh, equality and mutual benefit i'm not sure like what uh, equality meant here and peaceful coexistence so <laughs> i mean i mean i mean if you are an indian you would you would tick all five boxes and if you are a, a chinese then you would uh, strike out all the five boxes Doesn't you mean matter. tick you mean tick means like okay the chinese didn't abide by them i guess exactly yeah 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 i mean indians indians uh, followed every uh, every yeah. word to the t but yeah. the chinese were happy to ah. make a mess of every word there <laughs> that, that's why i thought like hopefully jay shankar knowing his history might agree to a, like a four or a six point uh, <laughs> joint joint formula i mean that's why i said uh, probably the proponents might want to tell that we know how to handle the chinese better now and that's why we don't mind having the same number again anyway so uh, yeah. <laughs> so mohan you want to uh, explain to our listeners what can be the road ahead i mean even in our earlier episode we were pretty clear uh, that this would be a long drawn out affair one mm-hmm. and probably mm-hmm. we are looking at uh, manning the lac uh, if not immediately but uh, in the medium in the medium term uh, perspective as well and most of what we told in our earlier episodes is actually coming true so now that we try to uh, uh, analyze what can be the road, road ahead be aware that whatever we tell might actually be true uh, within the next episode itself yeah i think uh, you brought up a good point that lot of this would be a rehashing of old stuff that we already <laughs> yeah. uh, kind of predicted so one of it i think uh, good points you brought up is the manning of the lse so i think last year like uh, not last year sorry the last time we recorded uh, i think i had a quote from the chief of army staff uh, where he mentioned that there are like around 65 i guess odd points and i mentioned that they, it would be like more like a the los the lac becoming more like loc well we have to go and man the border exactly exactly this yeah. business of patrolling is uh, done with we cannot have this gray areas where you go and patrol and somebody blocks you from patrolling we have to go and man the and this is this is a good example i thought maybe some of these actions might be taken next spring when the snow thaws mm-hmm. but i guess it's uh, been uh, preponed to like 2020 versus waiting for 2021 spring yes um the other thing is like the occupation of the strategic uh, ridge line i think is has definitely rankled the chinese so this has brought out a pretty vitriolic response in the chinese state media including the global times i mean such a level of outburst was probably last seen in, in the 2017 doklam crisis i mean they were uh, upset but like maybe measured in their uh, responses uh, even after the galwan clash 
Now, right. this shows that like when nations like India stand up to Chinese who are like, by the way, expert in bullying other nations, they just start flailing all over the place with even more propaganda and threats, which shows clearly that they are unnerved. I mean, they even recently started resorting to playing Bhangra pop music against Indian <laughs> soldiers as part of their psychos. I'm not sure. Like, I mean, it would have definitely confused our troops. I guess I don't know if they wanted to confuse them. Like, they don't know whether they're subjected to psychos or they are giving free music and entertainment at the border, you know. <laughs> I think the only thing missing now is popcorn. <laughs> yeah. um, so, basically, uh, the good part in this these measures that we took recently is like, see, after being mostly reactive to the past incursions by the Chinese during the stand of India has taken a proactive approach to secure its position in the Spanger gap area. Now, many had been advocating that we should make some inroads into Chinese claim territory to get some bargaining chips for a mutual withdrawal in the future yep. by what I mean is like, you know, you occupy some territory they claim and we, they already occupied our territory and, you know, we exchange the territory as saying, okay, you withdraw from there, we withdraw from here. And, you know, basically we go back to status quo of April 2020 or maybe earlier 2020. Now, I think the concerning part is that the next couple of months before the onset of winter in Ladakh is going to be very crucial in terms of how this crisis comes to an end. Now, as we approach the 58th anniversary of the start of the 1962 war, which will be on like October 20th, uh, 2020, uh, like we have to be on guard for any possibility of a military conflict with China in Ladakh and possibly even which could expand all along the LSE. Now, China started the 1962 war on uh, 20th October 1962 when both the Cold War superpowers USA and USSR were staring down each other during the height of the Cuban Missile Crisis. Mm-hmm. Now, with the US uh, upcoming presidential elections, the Chinese policy mandarins like, you know, might get some strange ideas where they might calculate that the US would be too distracted and hesitant to come to the aid of India. So this as per the calculations could be like an opportune time to attack India like they did like 58 years ago. So India, I mean, on the other hand, has been stocking up and preparing uh, rigorously for the upcoming winter which will be brutal on the soldiers at these extremely high elevations. I think I saw a report in Reuters saying that like we had uh, India claimed that they had moved like almost 150,000 tons of uh, supplies uh, to, the, uh, to the border areas. Now, India, mind you, has the experience of being deployed on the Siachen Glacier since 1984. Now, India today maintains a brigade strength year-rounded elevations which are up to 20,000 feet or even 20,000 plus feet and who experience like freezing temperatures of minus uh, uh, 60 degrees, which is like just unimaginable uh, hardship. Now, while China has been present on the high Tibetan plateau since the 1950s, but like maintaining a presence at 17,000 plus to 20,000 feet will be a new ball game altogether. Now, it remains to be seen how well they are prepared for sustaining a presence at these locations throughout the winter. Now, there have been reports that uh, recently the Chinese soldiers have been taken away daily in stretchers from the current standoff locations. So the speculation is that, you know, they could be experiencing frostbite or maybe just high altitude, pulmonary edema or hypo uh, that we see in, uh, I mean, usually we see it in mountaineers, like no armies usually deploy this at these high locations, but it's a very common disease for mountaineers. 
So uh, they could be suffering from these, which might lead them to being led away in stretchers. So now this, uh, why now this ties into the next point I'm trying to make. So the 1962 war came at a sudden conclusion on 21st November 1962 when China unilaterally declared a ceasefire. Now the theory why the sudden declaration of ceasefire uh, is by many that you know the logistics were th stretched pretty thin because you know they had made inroads almost all the way up till Upper Assam, uh, having almost overrun all of Arunachal Pradesh, and also they had made significant ingress into Ladakh. So there. Uh, supply lines had been stretched thin and then you know I mean in last week of I mean this is third week of November fourth going into fourth week of November you are basically the winter is going to set in anytime so before the mountain pass is closed they could be possibly stranded mm -hmm. on the wrong side of the border I mean especially like when we didn't they didn't have a lot of helicopters and airplanes back in the day right. plus uh, airfields where they could land so to me today, let's say in a similar vein, if they think that, okay, we can't stay put in the winter due to the health issues faced by the soldiers or and or logistical issues, like, you know, it will have to vacate some or all of these locations. Now, this would mean that it will lead to leave a risk of them being occupied by Indian soldiers before they return next year in the spring. Now, this in theory would put pressure on Chinese to find a quick solution before the winter of 2020. So what it might do is like it might speed up their mental clock to uh, find a resolution. Now they might be in a hurry to let's say provoke India at the LSE and let's say when India responds with force, possibly militarily, which they then, then use an excuse like, oh look, India is uh, doing this or that. Like I I'm going to start a war to teach India a lesson. So this in their minds would be like, you know, and give them an justify, I mean, an excuse in their minds, uh, to start an all-out war with India, then they could use this to like, you know, sort of, as they say in their, uh, I mean, as they used to claim that it used to, it was used to teach India a lesson in a repeat of events from mm -hmm. 58 years ago. Mm -hmm. So then once the war is ended in their favor, let's say they would no longer have to worry about occupying the heights because India, if it, let's say in theory was defeated in their perspective would not be worried about reoccupying these heights during the winter months. So then there is no issue of uh, them expending resources to uh, stay uh, during these winter months. So now the issue of trust basically with the Chinese is like now practically gone now. I mean, during the brigade uh, commander level meeting in the end of August, while on one hand, China was discussing disengagement in parallel, they were making some movements to try to occupy the heights around Pangong. So, right. so it's like crazy, it's crazy. Like, you know, on one hand, simultaneously, when they're talking about pullback in official meetings, but quietly in the background and deceitfully, they're trying to grab more territory. Now, while they might push for more and more talks, I mean, they could easily be, let's say, quietly building for a, up a war to settle scores with India, you know. So... The current situation, which as former Northern Army Commander, uh, Lieutenant General D.S. Huda recently said is, and I quote, very dangerous on the ground and can spiral out of control. So during our last episode, like episode 27 of the India Rising podcast, after the Galwan clash, we had said that there might be a possible Thucydides strap conflict between India and China in the future. Now, back then I had said that possibly we are on an unavoidable path to a bigger military clash 
between India and China down the road in just a few years end code. Now, I think looking at the events, how they're going downhill nowadays, I mean, we might have to speed up the timeline to much, much sooner. I mean, mm-hmm. situation on the ground on LSC is fraught with danger. It seems that conflict is now possibly inevitable, maybe sooner rather than later. I mean, I was thinking maybe a few years, maybe two to five years, but maybe who knows, it could be very well two to five months or even maybe two to five days, you know, for all you know, because uh, war could probably break out any anytime soon. I mean, it could be granted a limited conflict, but... Uh, I think it's it's definitely happening uh, for sure now. I mean, in my at least in my mind, is crystallized that there is going to be some kind of military conflict because they need to settle scores. Both of them, uh, like it's like you know, like when they say like an unstoppable force is moving an unmovable object, mm-hmm. like you know, is and teach supposed the other to hide a valuable lesson. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't see anybody backing down in this situation, so there has to be some kind of. Uh, conflict resolution unfortunately i hope that indian i mean the indian military planners and the government and everybody is fully stocked up and geared up i mean the reports do say that all along the lc even in the eastern sector and uh, the central sector uh, the deployments have been made to uh, give a befitting response to the chinese in case they try into uh, any sort of action i mean just today i was reporting that some of the chinese sources think that India could have possibly up to like 200,000 troops or 2 lakh troops uh, by the border, you know, so. So, so basically, like, you know, as I think you mentioned in the point that in the past three months, we have broken two long-standing unenviable, I mean, I will let me repeat, unenviable records at the LSE. We We had the first lives lost in fighting at the LSE in 45 years, which was in Galwan. And now we have the first shots fired at the LSE in the past 45 years. Now both are, by 45, I mean like the last occurred at the Tulungla Pass in then Nefa, now Arunachal, where like soldiers of the Assam Rifles uh, lost their lives. So I think like we could be, this year, I mean, since this year we've broken so many records and I mean, after all, it's 2020 where anything could happen. I think we could even possibly break a third inevitable record or unenviable record, like a first large scale military clash in the past 53 years. I mean, the last one occurred at Nathula in 1967, Mm -hmm. where India delivered a bloody nose to the Chinese. So possibly, I mean, we we might not like it, but there might be the third uh, unenviable record being broken this year, where you could have even a war with the China, I mean, India-China war in the near future. You know. Yeah. As much as we say that, we hope we are wrong on the count. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. 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 I mean, yeah. Nobody is- wants a war. We want a peaceful resolution, just like Absolutely. we had in Brooklyn. Yes. But uh, I think things have changed uh, dramatically, especially like once lives were lost and the economic pressure being ramped up on China by the banning, banning of the apps and other measures taken by the government. So, uh, yeah, nobody, including us, wants a war. But I think the if you read the tea leaves, uh, I think it's going to happen sometime probably, I would say, like in the next five years. But who knows? It could happen even possibly like five hours after we record the podcast. Mm-hmm. So who knows? <laughs> Okay, so uh, that's all listeners we had for uh, this week in terms of the uh, the incident that 
that ha- i mean the events that occurred uh, in eastern ladakh over the past few weeks so moving on to the recommendations that we do with our podcast every week uh, kishor like w- do you have anything you want to share which you read which is worth recommending to our listeners uh, yes i mean uh, we've had quite a bit of uh, written material that we have gone through uh, mohan you and i and one of the articles that i went through was titled uh, border brinkmanship by sandeep punithan on uh, india today and i think that's there in their uh, printed uh, version of the magazine as well where uh, it talks about uh, the indian army counter move which uh, surprised the chinese army in east, in eastern ladakh and uh, it, i mean he clearly tells that the situation is far from uh, peaceful or far from being uh, decided either way and it's, it's equivalent to a knife edge uh, situation so that was mm-hmm. a good article with uh, many maps and uh, quite a bit of uh, technical uh, details being thrown into the article so i think that's one thing that one article that i would recommend to our uh, listeners to go back and uh, read where they would get a, a good understanding of uh, how things have panned out mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mohan mm-hmm. Uh, your recommendation you have anything to yeah recommend? so i did cover it earlier in the podcast it's mm-hmm. the a uh, video explainer by rohit vats mm-hmm. uh, the defense analyst uh, 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 twitter handle uh, at kesri dwaj where he has explained in great detail the topography of eastern ladakh including the area around the spanger gap and why holding on to is important because let's say if the chinese break out of the spanger gap like lot of other positions could come under stress or threat you know so he just beautifully explains the topography it's i think it's a must watch if you are like a map uh, lover you know right okay so with that we listeners we come to end of this week's episode where we covered in detail about the tactical success achieved by the indian troops in the spangarso region which can be used as a negotiating Uh, chip to achieve peace along the line of actual control uh, as part of this current standoff uh, to continue hearing about such interesting topics do subscribe to our channel india rising wherever you are listening to us if you have not left us a review we urge you to do so as it helps uh, other listeners uh, like you in finding us uh, we also urge you to uh, subscribe and also hit the bell icon so whenever we do release uh, any new videos uh you get you can get instant uh, notifications regarding the same so uh, we would like to hear from you if you have any suggestions on any topics that you would like us to cover do remember that these topics should directly be related to indian foreign policy until the next time uh, thank you and goodbye